0: Welcome back to the Compete Clarity Podcast, the show that aims to make some sense of CI, bringing novices and newcomers the actionable advice they need to make an impact fast. Joining me on the show today is Nishant John. Nishant has over 10 years of experience working in CI, beginning with an eight-year tenure in the digital banking space with Tangerine, and since then has performed work in B2B SaaS, as well as some consulting work and... Trust me, his depth of experience will not be lost on you. We really cover a lot of ground in our conversation today, and Nishant gives a ton of practical advice for CI teams with few resources. I think you'll enjoy this one, folks. So join me in welcoming Nishant John. Hello, Nishant. Welcome to the show. Before we get going, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your experience with competitive intelligence?
1: Sure. Hi, Alex. Nice to be here and wonderful to join this podcast of sharing my insights. So I have about now 20 years experience, uh, specifically in competitive intelligence and research support. Uh, I've been working with companies like Deloitte, PwC, uh, Tangerine, which is part of Bank in Canada. And most recently I was with Everbridge. And recently I branched out into being independent consultant with Catchpoint, which is into internet security. Uh, across my experiences, I've supported product marketing, product strategy, sales enablement, marketing on its whole, as well as corporate strategy. And I've always been fascinated by how computer intelligence has evolved and always been uh, this enabler of uh, decisions
0: and uh, strategy. So that's my, my ground. Mm, fantastic. So Tangerine, that's, uh, is that digital banking? Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, that's
1: the digital banking brand. Uh, it was part of ING Direct before, and then it got rebranded in Canada. So it's among one of the number one digital banks and uh, highest in customer experience. I'm also a client of them now, so I cannot stop reading it. Out. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> um, and, and that's a space that presumably saw quite a lot of growth in your in your time there, digital banking, with I know there's Monzo Bank and Starling Bank here in the UK, potentially not direct competitors, but I'm sure played into the... The sort of larger shift and growth in the in the competitive landscape. What was it like working in CI at a time that presumably in the sector you're working was was seeing quite a lot of growth?
1: Yeah, that kind of uh, is true for most of the companies that I worked there. There was a lot of growth happening and innovation happening. Even like recently, now that I branched into B two B SaaS, there's never a day when there's new emerging trend that is going to a broad emerging trend that is going to affect the organization. But yeah, specifically in the banking sector, Tangerine was more of the first digital bank, so as to say, uh, back almost 20 years ago, and when digital banking was not even like mainstream. And since then, it's kind of branched well and on, on its own. Uh, and now, of course, part of my role was to monitor the Monzos and the uh, revolutes of the world, and fascinating to see how they are Changing the status quo and bringing more empowerment to the consumer, make it more digital, more self And even from then on, now banking as a service has caught on where you don't necessarily have to have an account with a specific uh, institution. It can be a mix of services you get on a platform or a marketplace. So, and if I take that tangent to even the B2B SaaS world, uh, you see that how uh, disruption is causing not just more competition, but also a change in product roadmaps and even change in how you go to market and talk to the consumers because you're competing side by side with supplementary products. Let's say in the internet security world, although you're not really into cybersecurity, you have to still understand the trends, how it you impact you as a business, how does it impact consumers and their awareness. So yeah, it's been fascinating to work at that intersection of uh, not just direct competition monitoring, but at the same time, keeping
0: a tab of emerging players and emerging trends. Mm. Mm. All right. So so the show is all about giving people new to CI a chance to learn from those who've gone before them. That's whether they're in a dedicated CI role or doing it as a smaller part of another role. So for you, whether it's in B2B SaaS or whether it was in uh, the digital banking world, I thought I'd start by asking you, what are your favorite methods and you're the sources as well for gathering competitive intelligence because there are a ton of different places we can go to gather intelligence right there's there are a lot of tools and software um, in the space you've got the other people in the business you've got your CRM social media even like old school RSS um right. which of those sources or, or, or methods um, of gathering intelligence? Is your favorite, and what do you find uh, so so useful, helpful, or insightful about about that?
1: Absolutely, I think especially for those starting out with CI, and with those who don't have those who have limited resources, uh, I would say. And I guess it is uh, important even for those who have a lot of resources and the disposable, because it boils down to human connectivity and relationships, because you need to understand your stakeholders, your internal different teams whom you work with. So I cannot stress the importance of starting first internally and having those conversations, whether you're new to the uh, organization or whether you've been recently transitioned into that function or even so much as once a year in the beginning of your fiscal year, always have that focus on setting up time with stakeholders and having those one-on-one conversations and understanding what do they know Uh, of the competition of the marketplace, how has it impacted the app perspective, the business? What are the plans for the year ahead? Who is the subject matter expert? So you need to have those conversations to kind of start gathering your centers of influence, as you can say, to kind of go to them and gather information. Of course, then that opens up more uh, avenues, like whether it is the CRM to kind of go in and pick up information from there, or you have senior stakeholders who are already part of industries, associations, and they are subscribers to those kind of intel and content. So not necessarily to kind of make sure that they provide that to you immediately, but then you kind of tap into their insight. So best way to start is to start internally with internal resources and with subject matter experts. And the quickest way to once you have this conversation is to kind of set up some sort of a hurdle, whether it is Slack or on Teams or just setting up regular touch bases with them on a quarterly basis. So that will kind of give you a lot of intel about the competition, where to look for. Um, Yeah. I would say you should start with that because that also helps you to continue your, your focus on what matters, what is important to the stakeholders in your alignment of your,
0: work deliverables and your plans for the CIT. Right. Okay. So you'd advocate starting internally and kind of working uh, outwards from there. And it sounds like you're saying that's um, that's not just an efficiency thing because, you know, there's data already in the heads of the the other people in the business, like the subject matter experts, like you mentioned, but it's also important for alignment with stakeholders as well
1: through alignment and for awareness of what you do, because then that brings it home as to what you do, kind of helps your stakeholders. So there's more participation, there's more collaboration. So I always keep calling that out and in fact, even in the channel that I posted, I think collaboration is in the DNA of CI. So for it to be successful, that's where I kind of started. And especially for those who don't really have resources, that's really important and helpful because then you get intel from all your stakeholders and your peers. And then that kind of you can take it from there from then going and subscribing to sources and resources that will help you kind of um, merge them and make it more uh, insightful. But you always start internally and then go
0: from there. Then go from there. Right. So um, in terms of um challenges people might face if they're just starting out and they're listening to this and they think okay great I'm gonna go and start talking to the subject matter experts and I'm going to start building infrastructure of competitive intelligence and creating those touch points as you say what kinds of challenges would do you think they might encounter as they're doing that and what advice would you give them for overcoming those challenges
1: yeah of course there's so many of uh, stakeholders, and but there's so much of time or resources you have, right? You cannot keep possibly going and talking to everyone. So it's always all about planning it out ahead. So what is important for the organization? What's the goal for the year? Uh, sitting down with your reporting manager or department head to understand how can your work, that is CI works, uh, help the team, help the department and the organization to kind of take it like from uh, bottom-up approach. And from then, uh, identifying your stakeholders. So stakeholder identification is very important, and they kind of give recommendation. You yourself will kind of know who is the subject matter experts. Kind of make that list. And I'm a big uh, uh, proponent of using those grids of two by two. So you kind of uh, uh, consolidate or put them in those grids of by importance versus uh, the business need. Then you'll kind of get to know where does the stakeholder rank in terms of importance, in terms of business need, and then going after those, like to kind of talking to them, building those relationships, understanding uh, how can we support them. Quite often you probably will go and talk to those stakeholders whom you would be supporting. So like the sales enablement folks or the product strategy folks, product marketing if and if you're a part of product marketing, then maybe the broader digital marketing folks, uh, things like that. So Primarily, these will be your main uh, uh, stakeholders, as we call and then you can go and talk to any of the heads or to your peers or the senior or middle managers. That's how you kind of start. The challenge, of course, that kind of takes care as you're prioritizing your time, your resources in terms of what is needed. That's one. Um, What can be some of the other challenges? Of course, you might not always get the data that you want or the insights that you want. It's a two-way collaboration, so it will take time. So that's one challenge for CI is if you're starting fresh, uh, you won't necessarily see the results immediately. That takes time. Uh, So the time is kind of another important thing to be kept over there. So sometimes maybe you just have to start with supporting the organization or your team with whatever is needed in terms of tracking competitors or monitoring news alerts and sharing it back to them or creating competitor profiles and battle cards. You kind of get a sense of it in the first Thirty days, as what is important. So you can start building that, and parallelly you work with building those bridges and those wrappers with your stakeholders. So that's another challenge you face. And I think data, like when I because I mentioned earlier, you have to look internally. So sometimes data is not in the format in which you want it to necessarily start uh, distilling analysis of it, especially the CRMs. So that takes time. You need to be skilled in kind of being able to. Uh, extract information, build those analysis, build those patterns of insights that will be needed. So data availability and data hygiene is probably the third channel, the challenge. So you need to be kind of cognizant of that, make sure that is baked into your timelines of your deliverables. And again, that helps when you're going and talking with those stakeholders, you can kind of build that relationship, you kind of get support and as well as not just from your team, but even from the subject matter experts who already dealt with it, say the CRM, way it is functioning, the way the data is. So that's probably the third angle of data availability because based on these, then you can then design and propose what kind of resources and sources that we need to subscribe to from third party vendors. So yeah,
0: mm. that's probably my course focus. Mm. You, you mentioned prioritization. It seems like that that one comes up a lot. Like that's a big thing for people in CI presumably because there's often a lack of resources, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Um, And then you mentioned data availability. Is that a challenge more so because, as you said, sometimes the data isn't quite in the form that you want it to be? Or is it that despite there being a reasonable number of subject matter experts, perhaps they don't have enough data or the breadth of data that you'd be looking for?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a mix of both because even if data is available, as you rightly said, uh, I read somewhere that computer intelligence is highly contextual. So even if you have data, how does it matter to the problem or the uh, stakeholder need that you're resolving it to? So to kind of bring it to that level, sometimes there's a lot of footwork required in the analysis, in the mining of the data. But uh, mostly, especially in the B2B SaaS world where the, a lot of companies probably are not really public, so you need to have information which is uh, access to non-public information, probably non-public data, which you need to then convert into information and then into insights. So that's probably another area why therefore you need to like prioritize. Uh, what are the avenues that make sense that you get your data? And you can probably keep searching for information and reaching out to stakeholders, doing it full time, but there's a point where you probably have to stop and delivering analysis. So that's why prioritization is the key over there. Again, going back to the grid, of importance versus, uh, uh,
0: business need. So that's where you channelize your uh, time and your resources. Um, and you mentioned, um, data that might not be publicly available. Uh, another area I know people find really interesting and probably quite challenging as well is all the ethical and moral considerations when it comes to gathering competitive intelligence. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering how have you or the businesses you found yourself at in the past? handle that balance of getting your hands on as much data as possible to get the competitive advantage you need, but also walking the fine line of doing that uh, ethically. Right.
1: I would say uh, for most of the CI deliverables that you do, let's say, for a battle card or if if you're working with a product team on product road mapping, trying to understand what's out there in the market, what are the differentiators, uh, what are some of the white spaces, for all of these, you probably have a good amount of uh, channels or resources, let's say the review sites, or you go and mine computer websites, or you check out uh, industry reports. So, the foundational element for what you're looking for is probably out there. You don't necessarily need to have an insight into specific to what the competitor is doing. Probably maybe in the differentiators or when you have to build a feature side right by side, you probably will need to go and refer. But, with so much of go-to-market and uh, marketing collateral out there by competitors, you will get an insight as to their features. So there comes a time when you need specific areas like, let's say, pricing or even uh, uh, confidential information, which of course is not available. I think for me, the guiding post was a part of being a member of associations like uh, Society of Cumulative Intelligence Professionals, where they give the guideline that you should not uh, misrepresent yourself when you're searching for it. Let's say you're signing up for a webinar or you're signing up for a newsletter. You have to uh, portray what uh, who you are and not necessarily um, not showcase yourself or, or maybe you probably are not showing yourself in the right light. So that's not the right principle. You should kind of reach out. Maximum would be you probably will be blocked out or you might not get that information. But that goes back to your point that helps you put guardrails to what information or uh, data that you can gather, because there's only so much you can gather. And as you build collateral, as you build as you build rapport, your stakeholders will get it and they themselves know that not all, all information is available. That also adds to your, uh, to your proposal of getting specialized databases or access to special research reports because such information is not available out there. So my guiding principle is to not misrepresent yourself, but always reach out and keep it uh, transparent uh, because just as you are researching and doing so, our competitors also doing it. So if you put yourself in that shoes, you wouldn't want uh, someone like that to kind of reach out and take in- internal information um, in that manner. So as I say, you have to be uh, you have to have a healthy competition environment. So that's my guiding principle.
0: Got you. Okay, so as long as you're representing yourself honestly, and you're continuing to do your due diligence and go above and beyond in all the ways that you can, you'll gather all the information that you need without kind of compromising um, yourself or overstepping.
1: Yeah, I would sometimes keep a note of areas where there's I've hit a roadblock, I cannot go beyond this unless I kind of uh, don't really represent myself clearly. So I kind of keep a note of that and that kind of helps in proposals of research uh, reports or databases to kind of show you this is where we were not able to go beyond this and therefore that kind of affected our analysis. So the more you have those kind of examples and use it in your uh, proposal for getting new data sources, I guess that kind of helps over a period of time. So year one, you will face that struggle to kind of navigate through what information is available, not available, but if you have a good record keeping uh, uh, habit, and then I'll showcase that. I guess from then it kind of gets easier beyond that point as
0: well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like, pr- pr- presumably not only for for your own records, but also um, if you're getting pushback from perhaps the people you're reporting to, like, why don't we have th- this data? This could be really valuable, and you can say, yeah. well, you know, we would have. Overstepped our, our our bounds really. If we'd started trying to dig into this stuff that wasn't available to us, yeah.
1: um, if you go back to those stakeholder conversations that you have and keep a tab of, have a cadence of it, those come handy and helpful when you hit those kind of uh, roadblocks because some of the stakeholders have access to industry membership or they have come from competitors themselves or they are more aware, so they kind of direct you in a different way to kind of get that information or. I've had so many instances where I've not had access to it, but then they would get it from their own sources and share it with you. So that also helps. So it's always going back to internal resources and those stakeholder relationship management.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess that's quite important for people to bear in mind as well, just because you might not have the access or authority to access something. Doesn't mean someone else might not have a contact or some other means of, of um, ethically and morally getting a hold of that data, which could be really useful true. Okay. So one thing that I think a lot of people struggle with is it's potentially quite easy to fall into a paradigm of kind of coping rather than thriving in competitive intelligence in that you're struggling to keep up with what competitors are doing and struggling to stay aware of that. Um, But perhaps, especially if someone's just starting out and maybe they just haven't had the time to get their competitive program to maturity yet, but um, perhaps they feel like they're struggling to Get to the insights or to provide the analysis necessary to actually get and stay ahead of the competition rather than just kind of struggle to keep up with what they're doing. Um, is, is that a struggle that you've ever encountered yourself in your own career? Um, and if you have, uh, have you dealt with it in a particular way that uh, you wouldn't mind sharing?
1: Well, yeah, that's, I would say, at the outset, it's going to be part and possible of any uh, competitive intelligence professional. Because you're not just keeping a tab of direct competitors, not just indirect competitors, but the whole competitive landscape. So that brings into account emerging players, supplementary or complementary players who are not necessarily playing in your space. So you need to have a pulse check and awareness of all of those players as well. So that's always going to be the case. Uh, and there are ways and approaches in which you do it uh, again, going back to prioritizing it, but not to keep uh, beating the same drum there's this concept where you can do a competitor mapping and do that regularly with as a joint exercise, uh, not just at the beginning of the year, but regularly uh, doing like a refresh with different stakeholders. So you are being aware of whom you should like focus on, whether it is for supporting sales enablement, whether it is for product strategy or marketing strategy, you kind of have those uh, tier of competitors. And then you kind of decide what kind of, uh, deliverables that you need to be doing. Suppose it's battle cards, you cannot be doing battle cards for all of the competitors. But uh, that's where the usage of platforms that come in where kind of that mine the internet and then kind of sends you those alerts. So you're kind of aware and on top of it. Uh, But at the same time, if you feel that you're getting overwhelmed, with keeping a tab of uh, what's going on, uh, you can always go back to uh, who are, what's your focus or what's the goal for this year or what's the product line that needs more to support this particular quarter, whereas using those uh, databases or those uh, machine learning resources that you have, that puts them into a repository and you carve out a time probably once a week to kind of then go back and check it. But the well, majority of your week is focused on the competitors that are in the play or whoever is the focus for that particular quarter. Uh, Having said that, there there are a lot of times where it comes where you don't have the time to look into a competitor that's just come and the sales teams reach out. Have you heard of this though? That again happened a lot. Uh, So, where we decided was okay, so if you come, come across a competition or a competitor, you don't necessarily go and then start doing the same analysis and the same effort as you would for your main competitors. You probably build things like a company profile for them just to give your your uh, stakeholders an understanding of who the comp- competitor is and what is it about them that we should look into and uh, share that back to the uh, organization through your Slack channel. This is what you heard. So that way you are keeping a tab of them, you're doing a high level research, but you're not necessarily going in depth into that. And sometimes the power of just sitting down and talking with whoever has reached out and said, have you heard of this? competitor and we've not even uh, looked into it, but having those conversations to kind of bring your insights, what do you understand of that particular space and why we should uh, be focused on, let's say, competitor one, two, and three. So those conversations also help. So a mix of uh, prioritizing, mapping it, uh, refreshing that mapping constantly so that there's an alignment with your business stakeholders' expectations, and they also understand, okay, uh, you kind of you can build those uh, messaging when if there are let's say what we call as ankle biters, what should the salespeople answer? So you can build that in collaboration with uh, product and product marketing, and then share that to them. So in event of any new emerging player, where do we stand out as differentiators? So they can use that irrespective of who the competition might not be or might not be, and you can always prioritize it later based on. Uh, for next quarter planning, whether we should build a deeper research or analysis of that emerging player, so it's a balance doing that. But as the reputation is key, as you keep doing that, you can get it. Whenever there is some competitor, you hear and you kind of understand where does it fall in that quadrant of importance versus uh, business need, you'll be able to refer your stakeholders back to already existing content. So that's how you can manage that expectation.
0: Yeah, that sounds like really great practical advice. Like, if someone st- feels like they're struggling to stay on top of what their competitors are doing, make sure that you're focused on um, what your priorities are, both in terms of the business and which competitors you should really be focusing on competing with and enabling your sales team to win deals against. Because then, presumably, the minute you start doing that and you start winning those deals, you're going to feel less like less out of control versus those competitors, and more like your start your competitive program is starting to gain some traction.
1: That's why monitoring on a daily basis, maybe not the first part of the day. I'm more focused on doing my uh, in-depth research and analysis in the morning hours, in the afternoon hours, doing the monitoring. And once you kind of understand probably one two big news, you can then probably share that. in a a channel or through an email newsletter whether it's weekly or likewise so that way you're showing that you are keeping a tab of uh, what's happening in the market and at the same time it's getting saved in your repository or platform for you to go back and refer to so if you do this on a daily basis at a specific time and not more than a specific amount of time because you can keep looking at trends for all day long you kind of then get into uh, a hang of what's happening out there, or even signals that come might not be even a news, uh, published news that is out there of an uh, emerging player, but you can gather those trends and share back your stakeholders, which will be much more appreciated than necessarily being the first person to report this news alone that has come. So
0: yeah. Okay, that's interesting. That's actually what I was going to ask you, ask you next in terms of getting uh, ahead of and anticipating new trends. So you would say, make sure that you're tracking what's going on in the industry in your market daily. And then over time, you'll start getting a sense of where where the new stuff is happening, the kind of stuff presumably that you're seeing quite often and has become quite entrenched and quite normal versus what stands out as being new. And then you can use those alerts to get ahead of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You eventually come in which news is uh, significant, which is important, which is something to it, uh, be aware of. So you can categorize them in those kind of uh, categories. Uh, if your tool allows you to put those tags, you can put it that way, or even in your own mind mapping exercise, you will come, kind of get to know of it if you do this on a regular basis.
0: Okay, cool. Um, when there's a shift in the competitive landscape, um, again, either in B2B SaaS or when you've been in a uh, digital banking space and a competitor launches a new product, for example, or, um, big acquisition happens and, and there's this sort of big shakeup. Could you summarize your process for dealing with that, for approaching that? So starting from how you might find out about it during the course of your day, tell how, mu- how you might analyze how much of a threat that is or what it means for your business. And how you then share that with stakeholders?
1: Yeah. So again, going back to keeping a daily pulse check of what's happening in the market, um, talking with stakeholders on your regular one-on-ones, while you're presenting your deliverables, as part of all this, you kind of gather signals from everyone and everywhere as to what competitor A or B is doing or might not be doing. So you proactively go and have your own internal monitoring of that. the The whole goal is so that you're aware of it beforehand as much as possible than versus a news that comes out about a possible shakeup. So uh, in my experience, uh, eight out of 10 times, you kind of are aware of, okay, this is where the direction is going for that particular competitor. There might be a possible merger, or you get to understand the competition themselves. Like if you're tracking them, quarterly basis of the earnings calls if you are just monitoring the news basically you kind of are aware of where a particular competitor is going in this strategy this direction so the whole idea is to be as proactive as possible but whenever that kind of news comes out or there is this uh, alert that okay there's going to be a big consolidation let's say happening first of course is kind of sending out as a alert to your stakeholders predominantly now people use teams and slack so you have a dedicated channel to kind of just share the news. So it's more about just uh, sharing what the news is about. It's not getting into details about uh, how did this come about and what does the repercussion of this mean? you just sharing it with the broader organizations so people are aware. Uh, then you break it up into probably doing a short analysis. You're putting your own point of view and sharing it with a respected team that is more closer to that particular news alert. Let's say it's a consolidation, so sending it to the senior stakeholders as well as to the product strategy team or corporate strategy team because they're kind of more close to how that will probably affect uh, or maybe not even affect but how they're more closer to that particular news alert. So you do a short analysis based on what you have shared, based on their learning, their inputs. uh, You probably will definitely have like a bi-weekly or a monthly presentation to your stakeholders. So you use it towards uh, that um, Particular deliverable where you start gathering more internal news. Once the news comes out, there's more analysis and research that comes out later that you you have to keep tab on. But the whole idea is to keep the organization updated. If there is a particular battle card or content, computer content that needs to be updated, you kind of go in and update and let your sales people know how that probably affects us or does not even affect us. Uh, Getting that point of view as quickly as possible into your written content is probably the key. And then you kind of go and do more bottom-up approach. Apart from sharing, you do your quick analysis, sharing a point of view, then you build it in your quarterly presentations. And by then you you hear more news, you hear more uh, point of views from the stakeholders. You can like build all of that internally and keep the discussion probably going in your Slack channel, with the, in the threads. If they have more uh, point of views, you can have that discussion ongoing, Uh, but I would say, yeah, take that uh, bottom-up approach to kind of first share it out, make sure everyone is aware, and then take it from there and building a specific uh, specialized uh, analysis and point of views for your stakeholders.
0: Mm. It sounds like perhaps the most important thing a new competitive intelligence practitioner could do is to start setting up all the infrastructure necessary to make sure that frequent intervals both on kind of a larger scale with a lot of different people in the business and then on a smaller scale um, with, with like those daily alerts you mentioned, setting up the infrastructure so that you're aware on a daily basis of everything that's happening and then making sure that there's a set time in the diary where everyone who needs to know what these latest developments are is getting updated and then building out things like the, the competitive snap, Slack channel that you mentioned earlier Um, to make sure that the conversation's happening all the time so that the information can flow and the practitioner is aware of, you know, this team needs support on this thing because that's what's in line with the, the business priorities right now.
1: Yeah, well said, I think, Alex. I think ecosystem, like putting the ecosystem in place, the infrastructure in place is very important to kind of know what kind of news should go where, at what cadence, in what format? Like you will have like a, something like a SharePoint. If you don't really have resources to kind of make sure there is a place where these news is captured in a sense that you also put your point of view over there. But of course, some of the research uh, CI platforms also have that capability where you can push it over there where people can access it. So yeah, having that infrastructure in place ahead uh, really helps for uh, news and uh, alerts that come in in this uh, shape and format.
0: It seems to me, at least, like there's this uh, competitive intelligence is often framed as like quite a frantic discipline where there's a lot going on and, the, you know, there are people pulling you in 10 million different directions at once. Um, presumably, a lot of the, uh, or a big part of the solution for dealing with that is prioritization in in a different way and getting clear on how exactly, well, as you said earlier, what exactly the business priorities are, And making sure that your work is closely aligned with those so that if you need to push back on something, you can. Um, But I'm sort of wondering, do you have any tips for people on how they can make their work in competitive intelligence more efficient um, so that they can deal with those those expectations um, a little bit better? Maybe it's just leveraging internal resources like the CRM, for example. Yeah.
1: Uh, well said, yeah. Apart from prioritization, the collaboration with other teams is very important. For example, you're working with marketing team, uh, so you can build those connections with digital marketing or with the social team. They uh, are The ones ones are also sharing content externally, and they are able to gather or they have those inter, intel in place already. So, when you have those collaboration, uh, you can leverage them. And, and when it comes to Building your reports or building insights, gathering if they've already done a certain piece of uh, information that would be useful for your for your own report, well and good. That's where the collaboration comes in place. Uh, but yeah, apart from prioritization, it's all about uh, gathering stakeholder needs in such a way that you you are working towards a broader goal for the organization. Then I guess the amount of uh, frantic requirement for CI kind of comes down because you are part of the overall um, annual goal of the organization, because you're working towards that. And as much as possible, putting yourself in the conversations ahead, I feel sometimes really helps. So when you're setting up your own individual team goal, always make sure with your manager that you have access to the annual goal that has been already established. Uh, you kind of get to understand. So, what are some of, let's say, the priorities that are going to come for sales enablement? Of course, it is driving revenue and supporting a sales team. But then they themselves will have some planning of which industry or vertical to, to go after, or which kind of product should we sell more this year. So, if you have those uh, understanding ahead, and if you're part of some of those conversations, you will kind of be aware ahead of us to whom should you better support. Not saying that you should not support ad hoc requests because that term is something which will always be with you, ad hoc requests come in, uh, But it's just a nature in which uh, you support them back. Not everything requires a piece of written content. Uh, again, going back to the power of having those conversations to support the uh, uh, teams uh, verbally, you should probably also definitely put that as part of your count of uh, deliverables. So uh, always call out, I always tend to call the written content uh, as being CI deliverable, but there's power in having those uh, sharing your insights uh, as one way of sharing uh, whatever support you needed from you verbally versus just writing it down or making a presentation and uh, presenting it that to your stakeholder. So approach has to be dynamic, um, and most of the time you would have already worked on content. So if a good tagged. Uh, repository of content of CI deliverables are there, you can always refer your stakeholders back to it. So that way you're kind of using different approaches of managing your your work and your schedule and always leaning on, so what's your goal for the quarter and for the year? Are you hitting those? Because at the end of the day, you also need to kind of show where have you supported and how have you helped the growth of the organization. So that's quite key because compared to, some of the other teams that have very quantifiable metrics and all for CI, it's a mix of quanti- uh, quantity and quality. So you have to keep it's it's your prerogative to make sure that you are not being pulled in different directions, but you're like using your uh, work uh, smartly and your approaches, making it more dynamic. So I hope that answered the question.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So collaboration, um, communication. And it sounds like it comes back to the, these these recurring themes, alignment with stakeholders, not reinventing the wheel, I guess, as well from, from what you said with uh, if there's already a piece of content for it, um, don't recreate it from scratch if you don't need to update what's already there or refer people back to um, existing assets if they do exist. True. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so let's say someone's looking to get uh, some results and impact revenue as quickly as possible um, when they're new. Maybe they're ambitious and they've just got started in competitive intelligence and they're thinking, okay, how can I really make an impact and, and start moving up? Um, in practical terms, if they want to do that, what should they be looking to deliver on first? Um, would that be like some kind of minimum viable competitive program where they're basically getting just assimilating all the knowledge they can? As quickly as possible, and then just enabling sales as fast as possible? Yeah, I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road, so as to say. So, as
1: much as possible, if you have to start with the MVP, then it has to be a sales enablement because you're kind of directly showing impact to revenue. But again, uh, before going to that, making sure that you have at least the basic infrastructure in place. You don't necessarily have big database uh, subscriptions, but even if, uh, you nowadays with a plethora of resources available at very uh, uh, economical prices, you can get by and have those access to alerts that will help you keep a tab of the environment. You have access to internal CRM. Using these two, you can start building your own uh, collateral of uh, computer profiles, feature comparisons, start sharing that with the sales team as much as they can use it. And whenever possible, Documenting those wins, like which uh, deal have you helped then close, both the wins and losses, but, but wins especially, so that you kind of kind of start showing where you have influenced the win uh, more, and then tracking that over time. And nowadays, a lot of CRMs allow you to track that, so that's probably where you should start with. Uh, but then again, I'll kind of not necessarily focus only on that as being the MVP, because you also need competitive intelligence, also strategic. So you need to align with. Uh, product mapping or with a strategic goal, uh, strategic management. So having that conversation and making sure you're at least part of an initiative, which is long-term for the next two, three quarters or in the annual goal. So you're part of it. So whatever you're doing, researching, monitoring, you're supporting that particular goal as well. So at the end of the year, if it just has to be an MVP of what you've done, then you can actually show the different number of wind deals that you have supported, as well as this broad strategic uh, goal initiative that you have supported. So that itself are some uh, low-hanging fruits, as to say, for you to show impact immediately. But I can guarantee you, if you're doing these two, you will definitely during the year be pulled into more initiatives, more impactful uh, uh, initiatives that you will get involved in. As the reputation of monitoring and supporting and stakeholder one on ones goes on. Your knowledge of the external environment grows, and your input also starts getting valued more. So, uh, they're never going to be a MVP for more than three months. Guaranteed, you probably will get start have to build more um collateral and more content support from from what you're monitoring and researching.
0: Mm. What you mentioned the tying things back to well, tracking which deals you've influenced so that you can start demonstrating some of that value. Um, that's something that I've always heard is quite difficult to do, tying things back to revenue. And it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that it must be kind of a data tracking issue. Like if you set these things up, and I, I assume there are other issues as well, like in terms of bringing sales reps on board and asking them, okay, would you mind filling out potentially a few more fields in the CRM as if they don't already have enough to fill out, but um, you know, I use this asset here, and then you know, your name's attached to that, so then you can tie that back to yourself. Do you have any tips for people on tracking that data and tying things back to the competitive program, so you can say we've contributed to this much one revenue?
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have your name tagged to it uh, because suppose when you're supporting our sales team, and definitely they would love for you to come in and provide them as much information possible. So as part of that deal support, maybe in the beginning or in the middle of the deal support and the deal cycle, you will get access to the whole, let's say, the opportunity page of what is the amount that you're looking for, who is the uh, client, which sector they are in, and which solution are we proposing. So you just need those few fields for you to probably fill it in your as minimum as an Excel sheet or I use some of the cloud-based tables out there that you can put them and you kind of show that uh, what kind of information or content that you're supported at what stage, uh, whether it is at the prospecting stage and then whether it has the negotiation stage. So if it's a win deal, uh, it's a win for the sales team and for the sales executive, no doubt. But then you have already uh, documented what are the different ways you've supported. You had an initial call with them. You can create those tags for a particular category. You've supported them before. The prep them for the call before I ha- before the call. After the call, probably you set up a time to understand what. How did the demo go? Or what did the client say? Or then you kind of go back to your resources, maybe a gong, or to your own internal CI uh, platform to gather more information about, let's say, the data gaps or the gaps which the client have identified and you send back to the team. So I'm just saying the different back and forth that you do with the uh, team, you kind of get those nuggets of information that you kind of document. So the end of the day, if the deal is a one, it's a great win. You can then document as to how you're supported through those different tags and different columns. And then you start building that with different teams across. Uh, so then you can, by the end of the year, or the quarter, you have a nice list of win deals that you've supported. Maybe they have not won, but they're at the negotiation stage itself. But whatever is the target amount that they are hoping to get out of this deal, that probably is what adds up to your influenced revenue, as I can say. So at, at a minimum, you can do that. But nowadays, uh, some of the CRM tools are quite uh, dynamic, where you can track the cycle and where you have supported then which collateral was used from your repository like if you have that link to the crm the ci platform is linked to the crm you kind of get an insight how many times it was viewed and things like that so you can add those statistics later on but for those mm-hmm. who have, have like limited resources that's like the minimum that you can do so you don't necessarily have to have all the details with you that's what i'm trying to say
0: awesome sounds good Um, Okay, just before we end, then, I feel like I have to ask everybody this one. Um, How much of a role do you see AI playing in CI in the future?
1: Um, AI kind of is quite a broad term and it's quite uh, focused into the future, but for the near term, I would definitely say AI will definitely be a great enabler for CI professionals in helping you do your work faster and efficiently. Uh, like there are those five elements of ai you have machine learning you have natural language processing you have deep learning neural networks so we've not yet got there in terms of neural networks and uh, deep learning for specifically for computer intelligence but machine learning like data mining you already see that it's not necessarily uh, ai it's more big data probably it's a mining of data and making sure the right amount of information is captured but AI will support in helping you parse signals faster because you're looking, swifting through so much of data, but through those uh, tools, uh, AI enabled tools, you'll be able to get to those signals faster and then it'll help you to make those predictions. Uh, as much as AI probably in the near term or probably long term will be, be able to do that on its own, but the context of it, the why for it, you still will require the human element uh, that's where the, the CI professional will come in. So in the near term, I see it's going to be a difference of uh, AI-enabled uh, CI professional versus not not AI-enabled CI professional. That's where it's going to help. I see it as more as an enabler. In the longer term, for sure, as the the, the technology matures and they're able to do more of the predictions and they're able to uh, have more context to it, there will be less need for doing the work and more... Uh, taking the analysis and uh, the human and intelligence part of the emotional intelligence rather part of it for you to then take it and go sharing the context and uh, making uh, your stakeholders understand or navigating them through the, the analysis that has come out. That's where uh, the CI professional will be needed uh, to do that. But we have to see longer term how this plays out but for now. Near time, I see it as an enabler for CI professionals. All right. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Alex.
0: Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Compete Clarity podcast. Make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts to hear more and head to competitiveintelligencealliance.io for networking opportunities, articles, industry reports, playbooks, certifications, and a whole lot more besides. Thanks once again to Nishant John for joining us on the episode. We'll see you next time.